Welcome to Leaders of the West, a podcast for innovators and changemakers. I'm your host, Jesse Jarvis, the founder of Of the West, and I'm sitting down with agriculturalists, entrepreneurs, executives, and everyone in between with the goal of digging into the strategies, mindsets, and lessons that have been crucial to the success of ag and Western. Whether you're carrying on the next generation of your family's operation, starting something from scratch, or determined to climb up the leadership ladder, we're going to inspire you to continue to dream big, growing not just you, but the future of agriculture and Western as a whole. Let's go. Welcome back to this week's episode of Leaders of the West. I'm so excited to have you guys here, and we have the coolest guest that you guys are absolutely going to love Nick DeCastro. So Nick DeCastro is an entrepreneur based in Bozeman, Montana, where he is building Land Trust, a recreation access network that opens up outdoor recreation opportunities on private lands across the U.S. So Nick, thank you for being here today. I know that our audience is really going to love your tenacity, the story of how you founded Land Trust and how that came to be. So thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me on, Jesse. I don't know if I'm going to be the coolest guest, but uh, I'll try to live up to it. (laughs) No, I am super excited to just get to share your knowledge and experience and expertise with our industry. So let's get right into it. You have a really unique background, which I did not allude to. I try not to read bios because I always like people to introduce themselves in their own words. But prior to creating Land Trust, You spent time working in marketing and advertising technology where you focused on sales and partnerships for Fortune 500 companies. So can you give us a little insight as to how those experiences and what it was that prepared you to launch Land Trust? Sure. Yeah. So I I grew up, I guess I can go back. I grew up in Southern California. All the people in the West are freaking out. So I grew up down there. I grew up kind of hunting and fishing and surfing, spearfishing, all fun stuff down at the beach. And I then went to school on the East Coast. I went to school in Boston. And after school, moved down to New York City. And that's where I got into advertising and marketing technology back in like 2010. And it was a really interesting time to come into that space. And if for the people who are listening who don't know what that is, I worked in digital advertising. So whenever you see an ad on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, whatever, any website, it's that industry. I used to joke, we're not doing the Lord's work in this business. We're just trying to sell stuff. But it is an interesting industry to understand to sell products. So I'm sure there's, you know, obviously a lot of ranches and farms out there that try to do direct to consumer. And a huge piece of that is how do you generate demand for it? And so online advertising and digital marketing advertising is how you do that. So yeah, I got to travel to a lot of places and live in a lot of places uh, over those that decade or so. It was New York, Chicago, Boston, LA, San Francisco, then Boulder, and then up to here in Bozeman in 2016. And it was a really, I worked a lot in the social media space. So it was, you know, selling advertisers in the YouTube ecosystem really early on when YouTube is still a very scary place for advertisers because it wasn't professional content like television and worked a lot with influencers and whatnot. So, you know, it was a fun time. Got to travel a lot. Got to see, I got to work with a lot of great brands and see people who were very good at acquiring customers online. And, you know, it's a useful industry to understand as I start my own company. And so throughout that time, I also worked primarily in startups. I've never actually worked for like a really big company. And, you know, obviously that helped me understand how to, when I started my own company, how this stuff works, fundraising and all that kind of stuff too. 
That is awesome. So now that we know a little bit more about that side of your past, what really led you to create Land Trust? Sure. So as I mentioned, I love the outdoors. I've been, some of my first memories are going hunting with my dad at like three years old and, you know, hunting, fishing, being outside. So, you know, clearly when I was traveling a lot in my 20s, living in cities, there wasn't a lot of hunting and fishing going on. But uh, after living in Boulder for a couple of years, I really liked being close to the mountains. And I had gone, you know, fishing a few times in my teens with my my, my family up in Montana and just loved Montana. Most people who've been out here kind of understand that. And so I decided to move up here. Bozeman was, it was kind of between Bozeman and Missoula. I needed technology for my work. So those were the two kind of obvious options. I like just personally prefer Bozeman a little bit better. And once I moved up here at the end of 16, I was just kind of instantly confronted with the idea that is now today land trust, which is, you know, Hey, look, you live in Idaho. We live, I live in Montana. There's a lot of public lands, which are great. And it's great to have that opportunity to access those public lands, but there's also a lot of beautiful private land and most of it's farm and ranch. And I wanted to have access to those places to go hunt, fish and do stuff outdoors. And there was just no real easy way to do that. You know, of course there's always door knocking, which has been something that um, has existed forever. I think as populations have grown and more and more people do that, the success rates of door knocking have gone down significantly. And so you know, it it just seemed like an obvious opportunity that if we could get landowners to, you know, list on a marketplace, I was pretty sure I could get hunters, fishermen, people like to be outdoors to book those properties for exclusive access. So for folks out there, Land Trust is a marketplace like an Airbnb. So instead of booking lodging, you're actually just booking access to people's uh, private land to do outdoor activities. So, um, the company started with hunting and it's still hunting is you know a core activity that uh, we focus on today, but we're also expanding into fishing, RV and camping, uh, farm and ranch tours and some more stuff as well. So I love what you said about door knocking because that is something we definitely get door knockers or letter writers. They must find, they must go to Onyx and find yep. your address and then, mm-hmm. yep, you get a letter in the mail. Hey, can I hunt on your lands? And Also, door knocking and letter writing is probably not that successful, but this makes it a much easier place because I feel like there's a lot more trust that's built in and just a lot more understanding for all parties as a whole. Yeah. Uh, Look, marketplaces are very good at transparency and trust. You know, there's if if any of your listenership has ever used an Airbnb, a VRBO, Turo, Outdoorsy, any of these other kind of sharing economy marketplaces – Users have profiles and they have ratings. And after every booking, both parties rate each other and you're paying with credit cards and you have insurance and like all these things that help build trust into the system that didn't really exist before these marketplaces came about. So as a hunter, it really makes sense that you are somebody who would be behind a platform like this. But what I find Mm -hmm. to be really inspiring is that you want land trust to be mutually beneficial for everybody. So you are, while you love the hunting lifestyle, you want it to be just as beneficial for farmers and ranchers as well. You guys truly care. And that is something that I have really noticed, you know, through all of your guys' marketing is that you guys want to see this as an added, as an added revenue stream for those operations. So can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. So obviously I didn't come from an ag background. And when I started this, yeah, I started it because I wanted to use it as a, as a hunter, as a guest. Uh, but over the last four years, 
have really developed the passion for our for our landowners. You know, we have over a million, I think around a million and a quarter acres on the platform today in 30, I don't know, 35 states. And it's almost all of our landowners on the platform today are owner-operator production agriculture. So these are multi-generation operations. And these are the people who are growing, you know, our food, fuel, and fiber. And also, if you think about it from a hunting perspective, they're also providing all the habitat and food and shelter for uh, the wildlife we love to, to pursue. And... You know, over the last few years, of course, I'm a passionate outdoorsman, but I, I truly have developed a passion for our landowners and the people that they are, the communities that they live in. And, you know, they can't go away uh, or we don't eat food. So if we can find ways to use tools like land trust to generate more income for those operations, to keep them profitable and, you know, in family hands, like that's the big win for me. So I was going to ask this question a little bit later on, but I am going to get right to it because we are kind of on that topic now. So for if somebody's a farmer or a rancher and they are listening to this and they think, okay, you guys have piqued my curiosity. I'm interested in this. How can they get started? Like what is the first step that a farmer or a rancher needs to do in order to get started to list themselves on land trust? And then how exactly does that process work? How do they set the, you know, the price and all of that? Yeah, so I'll I'll uh, touch on that. So first and foremost, with Landtrust, Landtrust is a business partner to landowners. So we don't landowners aren't our customers; they're our partners. The guests are our mutual customers. So landowners don't pay us anything. It's not like hey, give us a thousand dollars to list or anything like that. And they maintain and they retain a hundred percent of the control over their land. So I want to call that out because I know a lot of landowners, especially farmers and ranchers, have been pitched a lot of stuff, and it's you know pay us some money and we'll give you some return on the back end. We only make money when landowners do. So you own an asset, this beautiful piece of land, and we build the technology in the marketplace. And then when we drive bookings for you, we take a commission. So, you know, landowners get to decide exactly what they want to offer, um, how much it costs, what dates it's available, any other ground rules, et cetera. So they retain 100% control. And it's really easy. You know, you can call us. Uh, We pride ourselves on service. So we're not just some tech company that, you know, you chat with a chat bot. Like I have guys outside here, hopefully you don't hear them in the background, who are talking to our, our landowners and our customers all day long, every day. So we're based here in Bozeman, Montana. Uh, depending on what state you live in, we actually have people who live in those states. We call them landowner success managers. They'll come out and visit with you. Um, they'll take photos. They'll share, you know, answer questions. Basically, just make you feel comfortable. Like this is a relationship business. You know, trust is in our name, not because we're some sort of conservation easement, but it's like good old fashioned trust. We know that this business only survives and thrives if we have trust in the community. So having said all that, you know, you could literally give us a call. You can text us. If you go to landtrust.com, there's a landowner button. We have a phone number there. That phone number connects you to somebody here in the office and, you know, they'll be happy to answer questions. We have, you know, materials that we can send to you. We know that Deciding to list on land trust is not usually a decision that is made by one person. It's usually like a family decision and, you know, it takes some time and people got to get comfortable. And we totally understand that. And we, we, you know, we're here to help answer any of those questions that some of the family members might have and make them feel comfortable. But what I can say is we have, I don't know, 400, 500 amazing families across the country who list with us and are generating significant income for their, their operations. And I think it's a really interesting way 
there's a lot of younger people who are wanting to come back to the farmer ranch and they got to be able to support themselves. Uh, unfortunately, production agriculture often right now in the commodities is not able to do that. And so they've got to bring their own business. And land trust is a basically a new business that you bring to the, the place that can support a new, uh, you know, a family member coming back. And, you know, we have landers generating upwards of $80,000 a year from this. So it's something that can be sustainable and is pretty easy. Like once you get it set up, you can run it from your phone while you're doing other work. Like it's, if you've ever hosted on Airbnb, you get some inquiries, you accept some bookings, direct deposit after the thing. Like it's not a difficult thing to do. So we've talked a lot about hunting and fishing, but let's go to the farm tour side of things because I will be honest, I was actually quite surprised to see that as a listing option. And then when I saw it, I thought, well, holy cow, this makes so much sense. How did that side of your offerings come to be? Sure. So uh, I'll be the first to say we're still learning about the farm and ranch tours and experiences. Um, We're going to do some, we're working on a partnership right now with a pretty big organization that has done and organized a lot of this, but there's a lot of people out there that, you know, I, I have a young family. I have three daughters uh, under like four, two and a half and 10 months old or something like that. And we're constantly looking for things to do with the kids and getting out onto a, one of our local ranches that's listed with us and having the girls interact with cattle or, you know, calving or just learning about agriculture is something that, it's obviously very interesting to us, but when we go out to the market, we are hearing a lot more of this. Like people want to spend their money, especially families and young families, and have it be educational, but also be supporting and connecting in their local communities. So the farm and ranch tours and experiences is very much developing. We do see them. We're, we're putting more marketing into those things. And it's just another way for farmers and ranchers to generate income, but also educate the consumer. There's obviously a lot of garbage out there about farming and ranching, how it's bad for the planet and cattle are bad and all this stuff. I think the best way to combat those ridiculously bad narratives is for the consumer and the producer to actually meet each other and see the places and see the practice and the blood, sweat and tears and care that goes into being a producer, being a grower. And I just look at that. And it's also, by the way, a pretty good way to do direct consumer stuff too. So if someone comes out to hunt on your place or fish on your place or do a tour of your place and see how you run your operation, they're probably pretty likely to buy beef directly from you or, you know, whatever other produce you have. So look at the, in the end, Land Trust again is a business partner and we succeed together. So we want to connect our producers, our growers with all these different revenue streams that are kind of ancillary to the agricultural aspect. I wish you guys could see my face right now because I like, amen, hallelujah, say it louder for the people in the back. This is such an awesome conversation because you're so right. One of the problems that our industry has is the the removed connection from consumers and the, the producers of our, you know, of what we eat and fiber and all of those. So I think that this is a fabulous way for people to connect with one another, to have that, you know, because there's a risk in bringing people onto your operation. And I think that so many of us in our industry, whether you are a farmer or rancher, think, man, I would love to have people out to our operation, but I don't necessarily understand like the logistics of doing so or how I get it out there or the, you know, how does somebody pay me? I can't just do it for free. So I know that so many listeners right now have have it on their mind in their, you know, their 
bucket list or their big 10-year plan of how could I do ranch tours or farm tours? And this really is the answer for that. Yeah. And we're, like I said, we're still, this is, you know, hunting is something we feel we understand very well at this point. We're four years into it. And this is all, you know, on the, on the recreation side of the business, it's all do it yourself. Right. So it's not guided. It's just, it's, if you're familiar, your listeners are, listeners are familiar. It used to be called a trespass fee, right? So when knocks on your door, you say, cool, it's a hundred bucks a person. You can go out for the day or whatever. So it's all do it yourself access. The farmer ranch tour is what we're going to, like I said, we're working with a partner who we can't say yet, but what we hear constantly from our farmers and ranchers is, yeah, we're game. Just tell us how to do it, right? We're busy. Just give us a checklist. Tell us tell us what to do and we'll do it. And so we're going to some people who have been doing this for a long time and basically just give like a, hey, here's how you do, here's how you host a, a cool farm or ranch tour, you know, and, and just give like that some guidelines and, and give them a little bit of direction and then they, they make it their own. Like obviously every farm and ranch is going to be different. You want it to be different, but giving them uh empowering them with a little bit of like, Hey, here's how normal, like when people arrive expectation setting going through and like how you end it. So like an agenda almost, I don't know. I don't know if that's the right word, but it's our job. Again, these are the things we go out and do. And then we bring it back to our landers and say, Hey, are you interested in this? And they can say no to whatever they want, but we always want to be bringing them new opportunities to generate income that is complementary to their, their agricultural production. Oh, I know I've said this before. I am just so excited. This is such a great conversation. Okay, so now I want to get into the nitty gritty behind the business of Land Trust. So we talked about this prior to when we started recording, but this is very similar to Of the West. Your platform is founded on technology Mm -hmm. and you guys are the connection point between two different audiences. So Of the West is obviously the connection point between job seekers and employers you guys are the connection point between, you know, recreationalists and hunters and fishermen and the landowner. That's right. But it all comes from tech. And I will tell you, in my experience, I think the tech piece is the hardest part of all of it because it has to work for everybody. So Mm -hmm. are tech platforms something that you had experience in prior to the launch of Landtrust? Yeah, definitely. This is where it was. I come from that world a little bit more. So uh, my career was selling technology into different companies. So I worked in early stage technology companies. So that part was not, that's not the hard part of our business. The hard part of our business is uh, reaching farmers and ranchers. These are people who have been sold a lot of stuff over the years and who are very guarded because they've been burned a bunch and they're insulated communities and you have to earn their trust. So the technology piece is really for us at least, and you know, our COO was the CTO of uh, Bear Crop Science before, like $50 billion. Like that part for us is a little bit more natural. The hard part of this business is getting out there and getting in front of farmers, ranchers, and other landowners and just like establishing trust. Okay. So you talked about your COO. Mm-hmm. So how, when you first started this, how did you know who to hire and how to build out that initial MVP? I'm really curious. Well, yeah, when you start out, <laughs> who to hire is whoever will work for you. You know, Colton, who sits in the office here, he was my first employee. And I've been speaking at the, as I mentioned, we're in Bozeman, so uh, the university here, MSU. I was speaking to a business school class, and uh, I met him through that. And he was like, yeah, this sounds super cool. So luckily, he was able, willing and able to take a risk and coming to work for a one-person company at the time. And he's been, you know, obviously outstanding, hugely impactful on the company. 
And then we've been blessed with working with and finding great talent who come to us, honestly. I think we have a little bit of an advantage because people love the ethos and what the business is. So, you know, we, we've been, we've had a, a very good recruiting um, and uh, pretty much all of it's been inbound and it takes time to build relationships. You know, there's people who sit in the office now who we talked for two years before we ended up actually like doing something together and, you know, offering a job. So that's happened multiple times where people did outreach. It's like, hey, we're not hiring right now, but let's talk. And let's, I, I want to understand who you are, what, you know, what your skills are, what you could bring to the table. And then when the time was right, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go call those people up. So I know that the marketing side of things is obviously crucial to a company mm-hmm. like yours. And you are pretty lucky because you have that marketing background. Is that something that you think has helped your company get where it is because you understand that side of things so well? Certainly. Now there's a, I guess there's some nuance here. I am not a brand marketer. I sold performance marketing. So like, how do you put a dollar into the Google or Facebook machine and get a customer out of it, which is a very valuable like understanding of marketing but I'm not a brand a storyteller. Like that's not who I am. Certainly understanding how to leverage digital marketing channels to acquire customers is an advantage. But now we're at the stage and that really helped us get to where we're, and I was a sales guy. So, I mean, we got our initial customers and landowners through just like cold calling. So, you know, certainly the sale, like being a salesman helped build the beginning of the business. And then once we had some money to actually spend on marketing, understanding how to like, again, put a dollar into the Google or Facebook machine and get customers out of it is very important. But now we're at a point where I think building some brand around the business beyond just like, hey, here's what the business does. That's how we've gotten where we've gotten so far is it's just a really unique business and both parties kind of see the value of it. And so we we get customers and we get landowners. I think we need to build some brand around it now and do a little bit more of that softer stuff (laughs) rather than just like pure performance marketing. The technical side of things. Okay. So you brought this up just now though. You have two different audiences, Mm -hmm. obviously your customers, but then your partners in landowners and you cannot have one without the other, which is again, similar to of the West. Mm -hmm. We can't have job seekers if we don't have jobs on the site, but if we don't have jobs on the site, we're not going to get job seekers. It is a literal, like, what comes first, the chicken, chicken or the egg, egg. especially yep. when you're first starting out and you have to have both of them to succeed. So how did you guys balance that in who to get first? You mentioned that the the hunter was easy for you to get. It was the landowner that was a little bit tougher. But how have you continued to balance that? Yeah. So you're running a marketplace business. Marketplaces are really, they're very difficult businesses to get going and they take a long time. The average like successful marketplace takes like five to seven years uh, to, to really like see traction and maturity. So we're four years in, so we got another couple of years. Landowners, we have to have landowners. So like you said, you can't have job seekers if there's no jobs. We can't have people to book properties if there are no properties. So that was the hard part. And again, we went like in the beginning, went to Craigslist, Facebook marketplace, because Look, the transactions that we're facilitating, they've existed before Land Trust existed. You know, like people are door knocking on your guys' place or sending you letters or, you know, whatever. And there are plenty of people who are doing hunting leases or, or, or whatnot just on the back of a napkin or a handshake and, and what happened. So we went to where those transactions were currently happening at the time. 
Craigslist was big, Facebook Marketplace was big, hunting forums, like that kind of stuff. And we just said, hey, this is what we're building. Are you guys interested? And we were able to find some landowners who were willing to take a chance. And, you know, that had the first little few listings and a little bit of supply. And then you go and find, you know, hunters who are interested in that type of supply. And you just kind of like it's this balancing act as you grow. Well, and you bring up a good point, too, about you guys didn't necessarily invent something that was new. You just brought the technology side of it that made it easier for everybody. And especially more trustworthy. Yeah. Yes. And especially too, I think of like non-local people. If you're somebody Mm -hmm. who lives in Wisconsin and you want to come hunt in Idaho, the cold calling and the door knocking and the letter writing, that is definitely not going to work because you don't even know the the person to do any of that too. It, It obviously happens more on the local scale. So I can imagine then that I also think about how much money that's bringing back into local economies too, just because of the technology that you guys are offering and the connection level. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. I mean, if you look at what land trust actually facilitates, is is rural economic development because almost all of our landowners, by definition, are really rural. Like these are all production agriculture, like I said, owner operator farms and ranches. Yeah, we have some in and around, you know, a little bit like Bozeman or whatnot. But by definition, most of our supply, most of our landowners are rural, and not only is land trust facilitating them gener- generating income by hosting, you know, we have people right now, season kicked off here in Montana for a big game and upland birds. We have people from all over the country who have booked stuff, whether it's bird hunting or big game hunting who are here right now. And yeah, they're putting money in the pocket of that landowner, but they're also going into town. They're buying gas or having beers at the bar, breakfast, whatever. They're, they're just bringing some economic development into these small communities, which is really impactful. So you know, before us, that guy from Wisconsin or gal from Wisconsin, if they wanted to hunt Idaho, they're either going to go hunt public land or they're going to have to call an outfitter because they don't know anyone who owns private land. And there's no way they're going to connect those dots unless they're very lucky. No. Well, and when I think about, too, the economic impact, that landowner then has money. And where do they spend the majority of their money? In their local community, too. So even if you are somebody who is completely not involved in the relationship, you still are indirectly benefiting from that, which is so important, especially in those rural communities. Yeah, it's pretty cool. We have, um, there's a little town called Wilsall here uh, in Montana. It's like a 45 minutes hour outside of Bozeman in the Shields Valley. And there are like three little businesses there. There's a bar, restaurant, a cafe, and uh, like a little general store. And all three of those landowners are land, are land trust landowners. <laughs> So they're hosting people and all the people they host come into town. And yeah, it's like literally those are the only three businesses in town and they're all land trust landowners. That is, that's perfect. Okay. So we're going to get into the rapid fire round. These are the questions we ask all of our guests. They're not necessarily rapid fire answers per se, but that's what we call them. So the first one is what's the best piece of business or personal advice that you've ever been given? Sure. I've, (laughs) I've heard it recently. I guess it's it's top of mind for me right now, but it's it's kind of like a, a guy I was talking to said, "Hey, it's never as good as it seems; it's never as bad as it seems." That's <laughs> so like keeping a little bit, try to stay, you know, a little even keeled. That you know, that is a good reminder. I think I needed that one today, so thank you. Okay, next question: If you could give people any words of wisdom and you knew that they would take them to heart, what would they be? In what context? <laughs> Anything you wanted to be. It could be, yeah, it could be work, personal, relationships, life, whatever it was. 
All right. So, I mean, I'm a pretty business focused person, so let me keep it there. And I talk to people who are wanting to start businesses a lot. I would say, be sure you want to do it. It's really hard. Starting a company from nothing is a very, very hard thing to do. And you have to really care about the process of building the business and the thing that you're building the business, like the category you're building it in. It's funny in a lot in, in especially like in the outdoors space, there's so many people that want to start companies because like, oh, it'd be fun to hunt all the time. Like, I never hunt. I hunt like I hunted three days last year. I'm passionate about the process of building this company. Like I want to be the best in the world at building a big marketplace. Being the best in the world at being a hunter is not my goal. Like I love hunting and it's fun. And I love fishing and being outdoors, but a lot of people are attracted and you might see it honestly in kind of the Western, I want to work on a farmer ranch. Be sure your motivations are right because it's going to be really hard. And if you don't have the right motivations, you're going to quit. I think that you are so spot on. I think that you have to be driven by passion and a lot of people think, oh, well, I'll do that because I'm going to make a ton of money. Yeah. Nope. I made more money before starting this company. <laughs> You're not going to feel fulfilled if that is what, like, you have to truly love what it is that you do. And that saying of enjoying the journey, not the destination, because especially with when it comes to building a business, I don't necessarily think there ever really is a destination. Like, you're continuing no. to push forward. And so you really have to enjoy the journey and the like the small wins when they come because they are, you know, peaks and valleys and oh, yeah. a lot of valleys and not as many peaks as you think. Yeah, totally. Okay. If you could go to dinner with anyone dead or alive, who would you pick? Oh, that's super interesting. Um, I feel like Winston Churchill would be a cool guy to go to dinner with. You are the first person who says that, who has said that. And I'm honestly shocked because that is a great answer. Well, I like to drink and smoke cigars and eat food. And he <laughs> liked all those things in epic proportions. And he was also a pretty epic leader. And he was an outdoorsman too. So that that's a good fit. Okay. Yeah. What is a quote that you lead your life by? Oh, it's, uh, who is it? Carl Sandberg, somebody like that. Well, let's see if I can not butcher it. Time is the coin of your life. Be careful lest you let anyone else spend it for you. And so basically like, you know, time is a currency and uh, you don't get any more of it. You have X amount allotted to you. So be sure uh, you're spending it in the right places. Ooh. And I, I'm sure, by the way, I'm sure I butchered it. I'll make sure I'll make sure that on of the West's Instagram that we post the poll quote of it so that if you did happen to get it wrong, that people can still share it and it will be correct. And then the last question, this is kind of a newer question. Let's talk about favorite things. Do you have a favorite book, podcast, program, product, service, anything and everything that like something that has changed your life in some way that more people need to know about? Again, if we keep it with a business focus, I think uh, there's a book called Rework that is really, it's written by the founders of a company called 37 Signals that it's kind of a contrarian perspective on how to start and run businesses versus, again, we're in the kind of venture capital world of starting businesses. Like we've raised money for the company and whatnot. I think that book is really interesting. It's very short and it's a, it's a really interesting book to read for people who want to start and run businesses. You could read it in like an hour. It's not like this big dense thing. That's a really good book. Okay. Well, I will also make sure that for those of you guys who want to go read that, 
that we put a link for that in the mm-hmm. show notes. And then if you are somebody who's interested in getting started with land trust on the landowner side of things, we'll also include links in the show notes to get in touch with land trust. We'll do the website and then a phone number too, just to make it easy for you guys. And then Nick, if people want to follow along with you, where can they find you guys online? So we have a couple of different social media channels. Uh, we have a land trust hunt um, Instagram which is, I think, Landtrust underscore Hunt. We have a, another one that's a little bit more landowner-focused that we're just spinning up right now, which is, I think, just Landtrust. I should know the actual handle. I'll have to look. I'll, I'll give it to you after the fact. And I think we have a Facebook page for it, too. I don't have any personal social media, so I haven't had social media since, like, 2015. So uh, you can't follow along with me. But I do have LinkedIn. I don't know if, if your audiences have LinkedIn, and I'm happy to connect there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. This has been an awesome conversation. I am excited about not only the future of land trust, but just being able to hopefully connect some more people from our industry with you guys, because I feel like it's very rare when people outside of the ag and Western industry care as much about our industries as you do. So thank you for that. That is something that you can see not only in yourself, but throughout the ethos of your company. And that is that is a really big deal. I know that I can speak on behalf of the industry when I say that for sure. So thank you. I appreciate it. And for those of you guys who have loved this episode, please be sure to go rate the show, go give it a review, and then take a screenshot, share it on social media. What was the most impactful thing that you learned from Nick? Go tag Land Trust, tag of the West. We want to see you know, what resonated with you guys most. And with that, we will see you guys next week. If you loved this episode, do us a favor and share it with someone else who might find just as much value in it as you did. We're on a mission to continue to grow and strengthen the future of agriculture and Western industries, and you spreading the word helps us make more of a positive impact. It also makes a big difference when you take a minute to go rate and review the show. We can't thank you enough for listening, for sharing, and for loving Ag and Western as much as we do. We'll see you back here for our next episode.